0: Hello, my name is Dr. Jim Doty, and I'm the host of the Into the Magic Shop podcast, where we explore the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart. Well, hello everyone, Uh, Scott Barry Kaufman is my guest today. Many of you know him, Uh, uh, not not only as a uh, cognitive psychologist, but uh, also a uh, celebrated uh, book author. And today we're just going to have a chat about uh, a few of the things that uh, intersect with my interests. Uh, he has a new book, or maybe it's not that new nowadays. When did it come out? September of 2022?
1: Choose Growth. Uh, choose Growth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Is there another one that I've missed? I did not know if how far. I did not know if you're going back to Transcend. I didn't know which book you were going to mention. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, actually, I love Transcend, but... I love many of the things uh, you've written about. Um, actually, uh, one of the things that struck me was uh, you you mentioned uh, a tragic optimism. And may, may, maybe that's a, a place to start. Uh, you know, I uh, uh, finished a new book, uh, but uh, uh, one of the uh, things I came across was this uh, concept of dispositional optimism. And probably they overlap in uh, some ways, but maybe you can describe that and uh, the importance of that and how it gives you a different perspective.
1: Sure. I mean, that, the, the, the idea of tragic optimism was coined by Viktor Frankl, who was the, the Holocaust survivor, uh, humanistic uh, existential psychotherapist, to talk about how we can create meaning even under the most dire of circumstances. Um, there's nothing wrong with optimism, obviously. Um, Martin Seligman has found that, you know, it's correlated with all sorts of healthy things in life, but I think that toxic optimism is a thing. I think toxic or toxic positivity is a thing and tragic optimism allows you to, uh, appreciate things in your life or even find meaning and grow even in the bad without denying the reality of the bad. To me, toxic positivity is just denying the reality Of situations uh, when someone's suffering or someone is um, going through a terrible ordeal, and someone says, "Oh, just put in a happy face." To me, that's that's toxic (laughs) positivity. Yeah. Uh, Well, believe me, uh, you know, when it's when you're
0: suffering, to get that from people, of course, is uh, quite irritating. Uh, to say the least, and uh, yeah. it's it, yeah. it's sort of been interesting to see how some people have embraced that, like hunky dory. The world's great today, and you know you're dealing with your wife having cancer or a child who's ill or some tragic event, and somebody says this to you, and you uh, frankly feel like beating them up, uh, uh, and that 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 might be actually a good way of uh, release. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've a cheeky side to you. I, this is the first uh, time I've met you. Oh well, uh, it gets worse, Blade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, a little uh, earlier before we started, just for those who are listening, we were talking about different people I've interviewed, at I brought up uh, uh, Hunter Biden, and and uh, 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 I think for a minute you found it incredulous, but ho- ho- hopefully I explained the the reasoning uh, behind that. Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh,
0: the uh, So uh, there's so many areas I'm interested in. But, uh, of course, uh, uh, why don't we start with transcend? And uh, maybe you can explain for some of the listeners who may not know, although I think most people do, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which, of course, is represented as a pyramid. But I don't think he ever actually did that.
1: He didn't do that. <laughs> that's that's the that's <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Uh, The hierarchy of needs is usually depicted as a pyramid in textbooks. And you have um, like the bottom, you have safety, then you have belonging above that, and then self-esteem or esteem above that. And then above that of the triangle at the top is self-actualization. So four levels, four levels. But the thing is, Maslow never drew a pyramid, and he never thought of life like a video game like where you reach certain level of needs and then some voice from above is like congrats you've unlocked the next need and then you can just move up and well, you never have to worry about the one below it you know in his writings he was very careful he was very nuanced um talking about how we can target multiple needs simultaneously how um life and human development is always constantly this two step forward one step back dynamic You know, we have to just keep choosing growth and overcoming the fear response, but it doesn't, you don't just ever reach a stage where you never have to have any fear anymore of anything. You know, like, so I I think that uh, it's really important to uh, make that clear that that he never drew a pyramid, never thought of it that way in such a a linear way. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, and he
0: even though spoke of transcendence, although most people I don't think uh, appreciate that.
1: Uh, most people don't know that. Most people, uh, I think that, uh, um, I mean, I deeply appreciate that he did, but um, I don't, uh, you know, I, I was surprised because, you know, you never taught that in introductory psychology. When you when you hear about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, very rarely do they put transcendence there at the top, you know, the professor. It's usually just self-actualization. But the past couple of years of his life, he very much got interested in transcendence and transcendent states of being and, you um, know, uh, I, I think that, like, he, you know, there was criticism that self actualization was a very individualistic thing. And I think he really wanted to make it clear that self actualization is really a bridge to transcendence. You know, when done right, he said, and I thought it was quite beautiful, Maslow well said that its, func- its function is to erase itself. You know? Um, you know, you're not doing it all just for yourself. You're doing it so there's a great synergy between who you are and the world, so that there's no separation of self and world you know that who, what's good for you is good for the world um and uh, he emphasized that a lot more in the later last couple of years of his life but I think a lot of it had to do with his own fear of mortality and his uh, in his uh expectation that he would die soon because of uh, he had a heart attack um a uh, couple of years before that the doctor said any minute he could kick the bucket so I think he was like really focused on transcendence you know
0: well, that's interesting, though. So, would you say that the that he was having cognitive dissonance uh, in some on some level, and and was now uh, facing the existential crisis of his own death, and therefore was focused uh, in this uh, area now?
1: Why? What do you think in terms of cognitive dissonance? What could it have been?
0: well, i mean uh, on the one level promoting self actualization but then uh, then uh sort of segueing into uh, the fact that we live beyond or there's this universal oneness et cetera et cetera
1: i see uh maybe that's that's a really clever i never i have never really uh analyzed his psyche uh to that to that level um I don't know I think that he really started to appreciate the little things in his life i think that he started to talk about you know you see in his writings a really focus on finding the miraculous in the everyday and um and having more awe and wonder for uh your life and experiences and i think that this is a common thing that happens a lot of people who are facing their mortality um and and the question is why do we wait to face our mortality before we before we experience transcendence, why can't we make that choice today? You know, whoever we are, that we're going to infuse more transcendence in our lives. We, we sort of wait too long to overcome our ego. We wait too long to not worry about money so much. We wait, wait too, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we wait too long before we get to the things that really matter in life. No,
0: I think that's right, and and in some way it's a tragedy because uh, yeah. uh, you know you see these people who have uh, immense power in terms of whether it's wealth, position, etc., who who never act to, uh, if you will, uh, support the greater good, and then suddenly at the end they're scrambling to try to figure that out, and uh, uh, oftentimes either their powers dissipated or they're not in a position. Uh, to do that and then uh, of course then they die which is uh, uh, horribly unfortunate
1: uh, what on a you... positive note
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> we're having nice
1: weather today <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that was uh, is that tragic optimism I, I don't know
1: maybe it's yeah, uh, something yeah,
0: yeah. exactly yeah uh, What do you think people uh, get confused about? Because, of course, uh, it's sort of become sort of the jargon of everyone, this idea of Maslow's pyramid or hierarchy of needs. What do you think they miss in regard to self-actualization or how he used the term versus what's commonly interpreted? And then I'd like to talk about uh, those who uh, are at the lowest level or have just left the lowest level,
1: Level and how that relates to happiness. Yeah. Okay. There's great questions. Uh, I think that the the emphasis that Maslow had, which is what I re- have reflected in my revised hierarchy of needs, is the distinction between the, de- the deficiency realm or deficiency motivation and growth motivation. Um, and by the way, I'm not talking about growth mindset. You know, you know how everyone's like obsessed with growth mindset. You know, that, that no, I'm talking about growth motivation is it is a, is something a little bit different. So. Um, when you're de- when you're motivated by your deficiencies, everything to you looks like um utility value for relieving your the hole in your heart, right? So or whatever the deficiency is. So if you're chronically hungry, you know, everywhere you go, you're just like opportunity for food, you know? like um if you're lonely, you know, everyone is uh, you're motivated by your deprivation of loneliness. so uh, you're you're basically like, please be my friend. you know, um, if you're um feel low self-esteem, you uh, you know, you, you demand respect everywhere you go. You know, it's like, dem- I demand respect. It's like, why do, I don't even know you. <laughs> why, do, why, why do I need to respect you? But anyway. Barry, um, I demand respect, damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mr. Dottie, it's Scott. It's Scott. Barry's my middle name. Oh, <laughs> no, okay. Well, yeah, I'm just yeah. doing that on purpose to irritate I'm you. I was going to
1: say that was a good example of disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it was perfect. That's why. <laughs> that's why it's perfect. No. Um, yeah, but the growth motivation it was a different, you know, uh, motivation than deprivation motivation. When you're motivated by growth. You look at people and the world on its own terms, you see the beauty not for what it does for you. Carl Rogers says when you look at a beautiful sunset and you don't say, oh, if only the hue was a little bit different and you moved the left corner up a little bit to the right, you know, Uh, you're not trying to change a beautiful sunset, but we try to change people yep yep
0: well, that's funny because i I, I do know a couple of people who would say something like that, right? This would be a great sunset. you know, I remember when I was in Hawaii, and it was much better really, than that yeah uh, well, <laughs> the, go, those ah. people <laughs> 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 uh, you know it's it, it's interesting. I had uh, uh, Dacher Dacker Keltner on a few weeks ago. I loved him, yes, yeah, no, he he's wonderful, but we talked about wonder, joy, awe. And it was a very nice conversation. And that's, I think, uh, what people forget, um, which is uh, they don't appreciate their own agency in terms of making themselves happy. Mm -hmm. And That's uh,
1: that's a great point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. And this is why I wanted to ask you about the lower level. Uh, You know, if we look at people from third world countries who... You know, they may be poor, but they have community, they have enough to eat, they have shelter. Uh, many of those people are the happiest people I've ever met. And it's sort of interesting because, uh, and I think it's a, a tragedy, where, you know, we have people coming from third world countries here under the false narrative that uh, conspicuous consumption will make you happy.
1: I know. I know. Um, Conspicuous consumption just makes people want more conspicuous consumption. You open up the trap of never-ending greed.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, and the the problem is uh, it it somehow, and it's always interested me how it creates a scarcity mentality. The more you have, the more you want, and uh, uh, it
1: seems uh, paradoxical. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is paradoxical and um yeah no that's a great point uh, the, i i had the minimalists on my podcast recently i'm thinking of them right now when you say that they, 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 have you come across these guys
0: uh i i yes i've heard of them i i mean they live at the bare minimum although that can get extreme too right
1: yeah Well, yeah i don't think they take it to the extreme level but they you know they really try to make sure that they have one of everything not five of everything <laughs> yes
0: yes <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, this is the actually. That's an interesting point because I, I'm sure you appreciate. I I probably have five of everything. Unfortunately, I hate to admit. Uh, but if I really examine it, I wear about five or ten percent, right? And everything else sits there. Yeah. But you wear the same thing over and over.
1: That's and what you they have... say. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, are you a minimalist? Oh, I'm not a minimalist. No, I'm more like you. I'm more like you. No, I've got more. For when it comes to certain things, I like, man, I'm not a man. I'm like furniture, you know, chairs. They know, like, I, you know, got too much. Yeah. Is that an Ames chair behind you there? It is. It is. <laughs> Ask me how many times I sit in it. Ask me how many times I actually uh, sit in it.
0: <laughs> how, how many times?
1: Yeah, like maybe I sat in it a couple times. So two times.
0: Uh, well, you know, it's it's. Have you ever heard of this Japanese phrase about uh, buying books and not reading them? No, what's the phrase? Oh, well, it's a, it's a word. Uh, gosh, oh. Now, now, you had to add It's like uh, tutsukido or something like that. And it's, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon of how people buy books, but they, read, they don't read them all. And, uh, and it's funny because there was another person who responded that said uh, he was angry or, or upset because somebody asked him, uh, well, have you read all of your books? And he said, no, uh, they're there to remind me to read. And I'm happy to have tons of books I haven't read. And the person said, well, that's such a waste. And, and he was saying, no, I, I mean, I love to be surrounded by books and thoughts. And when, I, when a topic strikes me, it's great to be able to walk over and find a book about that topic. I, I, I see you have a lot of books in the background. So I, I guess the question is, have you read them all? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have. I I've, oh. read, I've read I've read these books. These are my this is my collection. Um I books books to me are very sacred. I get very I get like sentimentally attached to books in a way I don't with humans, which is very weird. <laughs> very weird. Yes, Scott, that is very weird. <laughs> yeah, I understand that I'm in therapy. I'm in therapy. I I th- I think we're all in therapy. Uh Every, everyone could use it. Everyone could use it to yeah I mean meet meet the person who says they have no issues and you've met someone with a lot of issues <laughs> well, well, well this is like the f- uh, statement that if
0: anyone tells you you're they're enlightened, you should turn and run as fast as you can yeah oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, 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 in the other uh, in the other direction because well, yeah, uh,
1: especially if they say I'm enlightened and you're not and for x amount of dollars, I can teach you how to be enlightened, yeah.
0: Well that's now that's a whole another narrative. It it is sort of interesting though how there's a subset of people who turn every even the the good stuff into an opportunity for profit. Oh yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's uh it it's sort of I don't know. Uh and and maybe you have some insights into uh, I do. Uh, well tell
1: me, tell me. Cuz I study the dark triad. I I actually um Invented. You have the you have the light triad, though. Yes, right? I was just yes. going to say. I yes, was just, yes, I invented that. I invented that with my ex, ex, you know my amazing colleagues David Yadin and um, Elizabeth Hyde. Um, yeah, we created the light triad. But I, before I before I created the light triad, I had studied the dark triad for about ten years. So um, I uh, first came the dark triad and studying you know machiavellianism people who just are constantly scheming constantly manipulative you know um, narcissism and psychopathy these things tend to go together there are but it's fascinating to me because a lot of these people like go under the radar like they'll I'll see on Instagram I'll see people who to me appear so dark triad and they're like talking about love and like I don't know um whatever and then and, and but they have they have millions of fans you know what I mean and I'm like what are those fans seeing in this person? Do you ever wonder about, do you ever oh, see someone?
0: You're like, no, what the, the hell? I could probably name three or four. Uh, uh, and uh, no, it's, it's, uh doesn't make and, any and, sense. Yeah. But, but again, I, I, this is the uh, aspect of human behavior that it's hard to process how uh, uh, people are taken in and manipulated. And, you know, I think, um, uh, Uh, our presidential candidate Trump is like this. You sit there and you just, it is beyond what you can fathom that so many people could be drawn into this person who is uh, the antithesis of the light triad, if you will, right? Very antithesis. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So what do you think that says about human beings now? and, And it's interesting because I think there's a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum of people who Let's say, quote unquote, find a guru. And then, you know, they follow that person and they do all these good things based on what the guru asks them to do. Uh, and then it extends all the way to Trumpism, if you will, where these people just completely blindly uh, do oftentimes the most heinous things or make statements of hate and uh, 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 towards others. And it just seems so. Strange, and is, is it just a spectrum, or uh, I think, of course, all of us are aware of um, uh, the Holocaust and the propagandism and how that got people into it. Uh, is this just a, a failing of human nature? What do you think? Uh, no, I'm not going to let you turn this back to me. <laughs> You're on my podcast. It's just uh, a
1: very, it's a very <laughs> deep question. The idea of failing of human nature is, I just feel like it's a really, like, for someone who also um, studied evolutionary psychology, I don't like to call, you know, there could be things that are adaptations that we don't like, you know, things that have evolved. um, You know, sometimes um, manipulation, you want, that's a good trait. You know, you can use that towards good ends. I I assume Martin Luther King was a little bit Machiavellian or else he wouldn't have gotten any of his goals, you know, accomplished. Um, so I think maybe some of these things, it's the, it's the context, you know, are they, how are they applied, um, and, uh, and how many, and, and how is it hurting others? Yeah, no, I, I don't have any particular insights.
0: As you point out, I think the nature of evolution isn't one striving for good necessarily. It's to strive to survive in your particular environment. And, uh, uh, and also it's not um, it doesn't cut off bad things, right? It you know, uh, you may get some sort of attribute, but it's not as if there's some overseer who says oh, uh, now uh, a million years later that's not good so we're gonna take it out of there. you're you're an amalgamation of all of these things with uh, those things that may allow you to survive suppressing others, but it doesn't necessarily mean the others are gone per se at least that's my l- limited view from that of a
1: uh, neurosurgeon so cool i gotta interview you someday but anyway God.
0: <laughs> well then you'll have to put up with my cynicism your listener so uh well <laughs> cynicism is an indicator of dark triad there you have it uh, you've you you found me out <laughs> Uh, 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 Well, you know, it's funny. I had a therapist one time, shockingly. uh, uh, And he said, uh, uh, he said, you have narcissistic traits, but the the only things that saves you is you have a good heart. So uh, uh, maybe, you know.
1: Oh, so you're a lovable narcissist. I'm trying to with well, well, the scale of that.
0: Yes, yes. So I'm I'm a lovable narcissist. I I should say, although I I'm not an extreme narcissist. But uh, as you said, I, I mean, you look at uh, uh, who who did you give the oh Martin Luther King. I, I mean,
1: uh, was he a narcissist? Uh, I mean, I think there's healthy narcissism. I think that's that's just the answer to that puzzle is, you know, there and, 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 uh, Kohut's talked about that, you know, people, some of the original psychoanalytic thinkers of narcissism, I think had some of the greatest insights about narcissism and I don't, we don't bring it into modern day science, but I think that's unfortunate. You know, they, 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 you know, Kohut I believe talked about the health, healthy narcissism or, um, you know, the, it, when it's not paired with psychopathy, it can be a great tool for, um, reaching your goals in life and, um, having, you know, having too much self-belief in yourself, it's not always bad, a bad thing. Sometimes, you know, um, I, I would, I personally, would like, I'd like a little more self-belief in certain situations, even if it's not like it based in reality, you know, I want to like, you know, if I'm talking to someone like a cute, a cute woman that I'm like, and I'm nervous, right. Or whatever I, I I'd like in those moments to have a, just a little more, uh, pep in my step or whatever. D- yeah. Does that make sense?
0: No, no. I, well, I, I think that's the uh, uh, that's true. Uh, uh, there's no question that uh, whether you want to call it self confidence or narcissism, irrational
1: self belief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no. It, it, It's it's positive narcissism. I want you to study that now. Positive narcissism.
1: Yeah, I think it needs to be studied more. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, th- the dark triad is when all these three things coalesce. And that's then that can get that really gets dark. I mean, they're actually the fourth. They, they added the fourth now. Uh, have you did you catch the headline on that one? No, sadism. Every day they actually he calls it everyday sa- sadism. The guy who coined that, um, uh, the researcher who actually originally uh, coined the dark triad, he's now added everyday sadism into that. So if oh, you got wow. all four, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like so, if you got all four, don't get don't get it twisted. If you got all four of those things in high thing. There ain't nothing healthy about that. <laughs> you know, no, like that. No, no. No, they ain't healthy. No. But I, I guess what I was just saying is like, you know, if you have some narcissistic traits, that you you score low on those others, but you score, high, you could still score high in compassion. Um, you know, maybe this, I'm describing you, <laughs> but <laughs> profile of you, uh, maybe that's what you're trying to say. But um, I think that yeah. it's, it's the combinations of traits that matter. I don't like to take one slice of a human and reduce them to one thing. I like to look at a holistic, sort of whole person analysis of traits.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, in some ways, that was uh, what I was explaining about Hunter Biden because, oh, I, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I did get some flack for that. Really? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, well, you get flack for everything. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if you go yeah. and, uh, and, and save someone's life, let's say you pull them out of the ocean or something, then somebody comes up and you know, they owe me money on a bill. They should have died. No. You know, go,
1: uh, but, but especially uh, political, yeah those, well especially people who are tied to politics forget it you can't I had Charles Koch in my podcast I got flack for that you know like just like you know just anyone who's bring the activates political something you know
0: well you know it's funny have you ever heard of something called uh, um, the bohemian club
1: are we, is that appropriate to talk about here Probably not. No, I'm joking. I'm, joking. I don't, I'm thinking, I'm thinking uh, about a different behavior club. but no, no, tell me about this one. No,
0: no, this is the one that was founded in San Francisco uh, by a group of people uh, interested in arts, theater, music. It was journalists, and then it uh, uh, they uh, involved some fairly wealthy people in San Francisco, and then it involved into a private men's club. But, uh, you know, it, uh, there's been a lot written about it because they say that the most powerful and wealthy people in America— Uh, uh, you know, go to this and all these decisions are made. And and it is sort of interesting how, you know, you have that aspect of uh, gatherings like that. But uh, Why
1: don't I ever get invited to anything like that?
0: Well, Scott, maybe you should look in the mirror and have some insights. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I I mentioned it because I was invited and gave a talk there a number of years ago on compassion, which... uh, Actually, uh, generated some interest, and uh, you know, I think uh, uh, gained some insights. But
1: it's it's an interesting oh. place. Yeah, no, that's but, very cool. Have you heard yeah. of the Illuminati?
0: Well, of course, I'm a member. Aren't you?
1: Why well, can't we? Well, if you're a
0: member, you're not allowed to. <laughs> uh, oh, what, talk. Do you, what is it? It's Fight Club. If you if you're a member yeah. of Fight Club, you can't talk about Fight Club, is that it? I
1: get the same thing with the Illuminati.
0: So I'm yes, going to shut yes. up right now. Yes. Yeah. Well. Well. You know. But see, this is a, a false flag, right? So we're we're talking about it and uh, 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 and acting like we're sort of part of it, but nobody really knows the truth, right? No, now And by the fact even... that we're doing that, people don't believe that we're po- possibly in it.
1: Eh. B K N D. I like it. I like it. It's because they couldn't fit it. Uh, uh... Horizontally, on the no—it's the name of a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn, wait, hold it up again. Hold it up again. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Brooklyn, E I. Uh, okay, cool. I like it. I like it.
0: So, but if you look at it the other direction, from bottom to up, you see it says D I E. You see, so yeah, uh, uh, we we don't want to focus on that though.
1: Diversity, inclusion, <laughs> equity. Yeah, is there that, you have that, it. That not, not,
0: not, not, not die. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, the the thing I immediately <laughs> thought of was diversity, inclusion, <laughs> equity. That's so popular right now.
0: Y- yeah. Yeah. Oh well. And and I I would like to believe rightly so. And uh, uh, actually, maybe that's an interesting direction to go. Why do you think that there is so much um, tension uh, uh, regarding this concept of diversity, inclusion, equity?
1: Oh wow this this interview has uh, opened up lots of uh, fascinating threads. Um, I think that uh, it gets political, it gets political. there's there's uh it starts to get out of my wheelhouse of psychology, but I would say that um a lot of people uh, if you start focusing on particular groups, then there are other groups that say, "Well, what about us? Why aren't we included we should be included in that too? Um and you start to get to the victimhood Olympics, you know who is like suffering more. And, uh, that's just not the, the, the route for society. And in, in my view, um, to, to play the, to, to, to even opt into that game. Um, you know, we should be listening to each other's pain, um, uh, not begin to think that not, not even not think that our, our, our suffering is, uh, is the only suffering in the world, you know, uh, There needs to be a lot more crosstalk. And I'm I'm unfortunately not seeing a lot of that in America right now, and it it really upsets me.
0: No, I agree with you. And it's sort of, uh, I think one of the challenges, uh, and and whether this is by the wealthy class or uh, people who uh, uh, sort of are disparaging to other groups, uh, is this um, one... uh, when somebody has privilege and uh, you take that privilege away or there's a threat of it, those people feel oppressed, Mm -hmm. right? I, I, I think it's really hard to sit with your own privilege because then you have to sort of look at yourself and on some level be critical, which, of course, I think all of
1: us should do. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can be privileged and um i think that people think it means something different than what it really means um you know it just means what do you have what characteristic that gives you a leg up you know inherently you know um versus others but um you know like a lot of people are focusing on white privilege but there's all sorts of things there's like you know like my ability to walk you know my ability to see you know like um I mean, when you really get down to it, every single human on this planet has is a mix of privileges and 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 uh, disadvantages, right? And so, I just think zooming out on this is 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 a way forward for compassion, not not shaming others. I actually don't like it when it gets to this to the sort of like shaming uh, route, you know, um, as opposed to just an awareness route. Uh, those are two different routes, in my view. So, how do you? Uh get
0: to the more healthy perspective uh, in your opinion.
1: Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about that. I'm actually working on a new book that, that covers a lot of these kinds of topics. So it's very fresh in my mind and I'm still I'm still working on it. <laughs> I haven't solved all of society's problems yet. Um, but you know, the, a lot of it comes down to this very replicable social psychology finding, which you see over and over again, which is that um, I, I've been interested in collective victimhood. Um, and actually, I have it's behind me somewhere the handbook of collective victimhood. I, I kid you not. There's a thousand-page really? academic handbook that I've been going through on this to look at the research. But I'm just going to summarize like uh, a thousand pages in a second and say that um, that's, well, you find that's over pretty and over good
0: over, if you, if you're yeah. able to do that.
1: <laughs> well, I think there is a really unbelievably high replicable finding in that in that research literature, which shows that uh, groups. That, you know, like you to look at the Israeli-Palestine conflict, um, they don't make progress at all unless you start, both sides need to take the step of um, acknowledging the suffering of the other side. It it sounds so simple and yet it's so hard um, because people are not willing to give an inch. They think that if they acknowledge the suffering of the other side, even a little bit, that they've lost the war you know, and um, that's the only way we're gonna progress as a society is if we can open our hearts just even a little bit.
0: No, I think that's uh, exactly right. I've uh, spent a fair amount of time in Belfast and uh, uh, it, with many of the people from different sides of the conflict. And uh, well, certainly what uh, they've done uh, is admirable and it still needs more work. It's still, Incredible, but I think part of the problem in many of these instances is, unlike, let's say, in America, you know, there's this amalgamation of all these different cultures, people, ethnicities, and uh, in these other areas, oftentimes you have people who live there for generation after generation after generation, who have these long memories. And and because they're still in the same place, the conflicts are constant. And I think that's uh, one of the challenges: is is how do you get out of that? Because you know, once you're not in the middle of it all the time, and you're hearing your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, you know, telling you about horrific stories of the other, uh, until those are able to fade into memory, or you realize that uh, you need to get past that. I, I think it's really hard to do.
1: Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's easier for psychologists just in a distance.
0: <laughs> Why can't they all just get along? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no,
1: I mean you, it's you, true. You
0: sound, who was that? That was the King. Remember uh, uh the guy during the Watts riots? Why can't we all just get along? I remember that. Yes. Yeah, I do
1: remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um like uh
0: yes, no. Uh I, I think that's uh, uh an interesting situation and, and it's sad. But like I said, you know, having spent time with both groups in uh, Northern Ireland, it's really been an eye opener. And uh, I mean, literally, I was with a fellow who had assassinated three different people. Uh, He was on the Protestant side. And uh, 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 yeah, I mean, you just hear these horrible tragedies, but you also see these incredible situations where people have opened their hearts, have forgiven, and uh, and then are able to go forward. But, you know, it's hard Mm -hmm. to do.
1: It's Yeah, it's hard to do, but I, I a lot of it takes a mindset shift. I really um, I think it's uh, detrimental to personal growth uh, to reduce your whole identity to a victimhood identity. Like if, if the whole thing is just that is your identity, you don't see the possibilities for growth, but you also don't see the possibilities for connection with others who may be very different from you, and I think that's a shame. And I don't even mean this in a political way because I think that term uh, victimhood identity uh, or victimhood uh, Um, uh, sort of mentality has been co-opted for political reasons, but I think we all show it at times, and it inhibits our growth.
0: Well, speaking of growth, maybe you can switch over to your fairly uh, new book. Uh, Yeah, uh, it's growth. Yes, yeah. So uh, tell me about what motivated you to write that and uh, sort of the nature of trauma, if you will, that uh, everyone carries with them. And but, how that affects people,
1: yeah, i don't I don't know if everyone has had a trauma in their life, but um, everybody I know has, even though they made, although they may lie and say they don't, right? <laughs> a lot of people for sure. Um, ha, but I, I think that you know, I just want to make a cultural statement real quick. I think the term trauma has become something very, very different than what the clinical term for it is. Now everyone's traumatized by everything, I mean, there's uh, now people are talking about mini traumas, micro traumas. Uh, microaggressions, uh, microaggressions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, if I heard the phrase micro trauma, and it's just like, I don't know, the word trauma starts to lose its meaning. Um, the way I see it uh, is in a lot of ways, trauma is in the eye of the beholder. You can have the traumatizing, the you know, uh, the potentially traumatizing event, but it doesn't mean that the person has to be traumatized. There's a requirement that they're traumatized by it, you know? Um, so, um, and then trauma is sort of the narrative or the sort of representative, cognitive representation you have about the events. And, um, uh, in a lot of ways, a, a, a real core feature of trauma is that you have experienced an event that has given you a psycholo- psychologically seismic shift in your thinking and worldview about things. And th- this, that's the language that comes from the post-traumatic growth literature, a psycho- psychologically seismic event um, you know, that has caused you, you know, you off, you, your whole worldview has changed. Like what you thought was up now all of a sudden seems down and, and you've really kind of lost your, your footing of, uh, what's real, what can you trust? And, um, that's, that's a very psychologically damaging state of mind for sure. We need to have compassion for that. Um, and there are a lot of people who go through these situations and, um, and, uh, really, Need to rebuild, but it's like an earthquake. You don't just when an earthquake happens. You don't say, "Oh well, the grounds sucks now." You know, like the houses are are gone. Life's over. You what you do is you rebuild. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people stuck in in this sort of. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, just suffer from my trauma and talk about it all day long on Instagram and see how many likes I can get. You know, by talking about my trauma, as opposed to, I'm gonna actually build. Uh, something new and, uh, and, and, and try to move my life forward. I think people are capable of a lot more resiliency than they give themselves credit for.
0: Well, I think that's a good point. Uh, uh, I think there are a couple aspects of that. One is uh, people don't have the insight or self-awareness uh, that uh, the drivers of so much of their behavior is the trauma itself. And so they they, and they think by talking about it more and more and perhaps getting sympathy, uh, in some ways it's like a dependency or even a codependency, right? And, and in fact, many of these people find partners who said, they go, oh, so and so is suffering, you know, because of this, and I have to be here to help them. And uh, uh, the other aspect, I think, and this is not to minimize the nature of trauma for some people, but, uh, you know, an event doesn't have any valence, right? It's neither good nor bad. It's just an event. And so the, what a lot of people get lost in is this emotional response that then gets embedded. And uh, every time they uh, uh, experience something that is uh, even distantly related, they get that same feeling back. And then that creates a whole psychological and physiologic response. And, uh, obviously that seems very, very real, but at the end of the day, I think, uh, uh people forget that they have self-agency. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's, that's a really important point. Um, and there is like, there, there is an empower, I call it the empowerment mindset I see very, it's just a very different mindset than a passivity mindset. Um, I think a lot of people face learned helplessness, um, and don't, uh, know they need to learn hopefulness you know it's something that needs to be learned as well you know learn hopefulness uh, my my colleague dan Thomasua wrote a great book called the word hopefulness um you know it takes work i think there are also a lot of legit lazy people like i think like you know and and it's like it's like oh you always have to show compassion 24 7 for someone but i think sometimes like some people need to realize that like they're like oh well i'm not getting you know i haven't changed overnight so therefore forget it i've given up what people need to know is that the process of overcoming trauma and, and, and growing, it does take work. It does take effort. <laughs> you have to um, you know, be determined to change, to be determined to be a better person. I mean, it is not, I think it's hard for almost anyone to work at uh, improving their life, their lives and overcoming challenges in their life. But I think that there is so many examples of what is possible and what's on the other side for you. Um, if you're willing to put in the work, um, but I think there are some people that really um, like the attention they get from uh, from posting about their
0: traumas. Are Yeah, they're suffering. Well, I think that's that's true, and I think uh, unfortunately, you're you're correct. I, I, I mean, there are many people who, you know, want to read a book and suddenly say, "Oh, this has solved every personal problem I have," and yeah. I, certainly books can be helpful for that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to do the work. And it's not an hour's worth of work or a week's worth of work. Sometimes it's years of work. And, yeah. uh, uh, and I think um, that for many people seems uh, overwhelming uh, to think about that. But again, it gets back to anything. You know, If you think of the totality of an event, let's say climbing Mount Everest, you go, oh my God, I could never do that. But yeah. if you sit there and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to first hike for learn how to hike for ten miles, and then I'm going to go the next step," and you break it down into That's these right. l- little pieces,
1: right? You'll never climb Mount Everest if on day one yeah, there's some bad weather, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, there's some bad weather. There's I, I give up."
0: Yeah, no, no, exactly. In, in fact, actually, there's a podcast I just did with a woman by the name name of uh, Sylvia Vasquez. something, I forgot the last name, so she's going to kill me when she listens to this. I think I know who Uh, you're talking about. Yeah, uh, Yeah. but she's a Peruvian woman and who had been sexually abused as a child and actually uh, uh, had an ayahuasca experience where her child self took her hand and pointed to the mountains and said something along the lines of, you must climb uh, uh, to heal yourself. And believe it or not, and this woman's probably... Uh, five, four, she's climbed the seven summits.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's imagine? incredible. I actually would love to interview her uh, for my uh, book. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and,
0: and in fact, wow. I used her as an example in my book. Uh, the name of her book is In the Shadow of the Mountain. Okay. And uh, uh, it's, it's really quite uh, uh, powerful. And uh, uh, the other thing that's interesting, actually... About it, let me see if I can just find her name
1: here real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, because... we can re-edit that so the, it doesn't sound like you forgot it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let me find it. <laughs> we can we, we could do a re, we could do a re-edit. You could say yes. oh, and
0: uh, Mosca's is... yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, a Shadow of the Mountain. Uh, uh, no, I've been there. I've been there. Uh, uh, as a uh, uh, a yes, yes. Uh, after... So. Yes, a memoir of courage. Uh yes, uh, C- you were you were yes. almost
1: all the way there. You were almost all the way there.
0: Yeah. I, I know. I, I know it started with an L and I just couldn't uh, uh remember yeah. that. But you see, we'll leave this in to show my vulnerability, uh Scott uh, so, look. and my kindness, oh, and It shows your
1: vulnerability and it also shows me looking out for you. I wanted to uh, Yeah, yeah. So this is like you. a, a yes.
0: compassion, a compassion team. Yes, yes. Uh, I wanted uh, to help you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's an extraordinary human being. And, and actually, uh, she Amazing. had a long history of alcoholism because wow. she would try to hide the pain that she was going through. And then what she would do is she would quit drinking for a period of time so she could do her trek. Then she would come back from the, the climbing the mountain and then would be in this alcoholic uh, stupor for uh, days to weeks at a time. And in fact, uh, what uh, actually... Uh, I'm in many ways privileged to know her. She actually read my book into the magic shop, and that and took a course that we give on compassion and self-compassion, and that was the catalyst for her to stop
1: drinking. So, wow. Yeah, I, I'm literally uh, saving this right now because I'd, I'd love to talk to her. Uh, I love these. I love these kinds of stories. I'm collecting these kinds of stories right now. Um, yeah, for this project I'm working on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. So uh, uh, I I think she's just an uh, amazing uh, human being. Uh, where was I going to go with you now? I've lost track because we got so into our own suffering and how actually ultimately nice we are. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of the trauma, though, I know in, you have a workbook in there. So uh, what do you think are the insights you know, briefly that somebody can, uh, use to sort of deal
1: with their own trauma? Well, you know, the book is real, it's the word traumas. That's a heavy, heavy, let's, 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 let's get off the trauma train for okay, a second. We'll call it the but, growth growth. Well, 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 the life's difficulties, you know, like how can we cope with life's challenges? Not every life challenge is a trauma. And I, and I want to be clear about that. And, uh, um, trauma is a very clinical word, but um, I really do think this book can help people, um, to choose growth. I mean, that's the title of the book is true growth. First of all, it's just, you're, you've, once you've committed to that path, um, I think that it requires a certain, um, way of being in the world of, um, of, uh, of c- cultivating high quality connections. For instance, we have all of these sort of things like, don't be afraid to ask for help from people. You know, there are a lot of people who suffer and don't realize there are a lot of people that would be happy to come in and help you you know you're not a burden to them you know to ask for help and i think that's a a big one no i think that's
0: very critical because so many people once they get in that mindset think uh i'm a burden to everyone around me and and i think you're right because frankly helping people makes people feel better
1: yeah so it's win-win yeah for, for everyone um yeah and you know we go down the line of all the these needs in my revised hierarchy of needs so um i have um who's in your boat like where do you feel stable secure um in your life what what do you need to do to feel safer in your life and um self-esteem um what what are projects and things you can get involved in that give you an authentic sense of mastery you know not not a fake narcissistic sort of sense of um uh, like unearned you know uh pride but authentic yes. pride um the psychologist distinction hubristic pride and authentic pride. That's I, th- I always found that a cool distinction. Um, and then we, you know, we talk about the higher needs like exploration and creativity. That's a topic I've studied in my career for for many years. Is how can people uh, use the creative expression to help them heal from? Um, I guess you could say traumas uh, heal from anything. You know, like a lot of creative people uh, put their suffering into their art. You know, and whatever that, whatever the art is, you know, it can. No, I think that's there.
0: very yeah. true. Is in fact, uh, I, I, there's some very interesting um, uh, insights there because whether it's painting, or one of the things I find interesting, people who've suffered greatly, many of them become comedians.
1: I've noticed that too. Yeah, I, I would. I, I've I've often thought if psychology doesn't work out, I would probably try to my hand at stand-up comedy.
0: Uh, you know, it's funny you say that, because uh, I have a good friend who went into that, and uh, she was convincing me I should go do stand-up. And I, I thought it would be actually fun, and I actually spent a little bit of time writing jokes. So, But uh, I, I, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, let me ask you about- uh, You are funny. Jermaine uh, <laughs> Topic. Uh, do you know Rick Doblin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see he's been on your podcast recently. Yeah, a bit. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, we were talking about the nature of psychedelics. And as you know, uh, he's been both at the forefront of the therapeutic use, but also legalization. But in terms of uh, trauma or whatever terminology you want to use at the moment, do you feel psychedelics have a place?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's funny because my, uh, my uh, I was going to say my homeboy, uh, Abraham Maslow, um, oh. you know, who i <laughs> I have such affection for, um, uh, but he, he was very critical of the use of psychedelics. He wrote a lot of, uh, criticisms about this. He, he was friends with Tim Leary, but he would tease Tim Leary and he'd be like, what, do you want to take an elevator to the top of Mount Everest? You know, like, or do you want to walk there? But one, one day him and uh, Tim, we were walking around the campus and got lost and, um, and uh, and, he, and he said said, "Mazo, uh, like, do you want to get a cab or you want to walk home?" And he's like, "No, I'll get a cab." So uh, <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. There's a there's a famous story like that. And then kind of ribbing ribbing each other about that. But anyway, long story short, I think that Mazo was probably wrong about that because um, I think we're seeing right now all the positive benefits um, when when you integrate. And I think it's an it's an integrative process where you take psychedelics but you bring those insights into your everyday life and you can it can forever change our consciousness um give us a sense of greater much greater sense of unity and um an ego disillusion um is is I think a great thing and so I'm I'm very pro uh the the responsible use of these things
0: Yeah, I I think that that's really the key phrase is responsible use. Uh, You know, I think that, uh, you know, this is beyond sort of the recreational use, which maybe can be therapeutic for some people. But the idea of this concept of integration and then sharing the experience and having maybe a therapist or someone uh, with insights uh, help you process these things Uh, I think it can be very, very powerful and uh, life-changing for so many people.
1: Yeah. And as we've seen, you know, there's enough data now showing the transformative effects, but you know, not everything is for everyone. You know, I, I don't think mindfulness meditation is for everyone. That's, that's a controversial thing to say among some if you go to some of these mindfulness conferences and you say that, you're in trouble.
0: <laughs> well, I say it uh, because I, I okay. will say on some level, mindfulness is bullshit for a subset of people, or at least the way in which it is described. And just like um, many, if you want to call them religious practices, you know, if you don't do mindfulness their way, uh, yeah. uh, you're an apostate, right? And this is one of the things that I think is tragic because, you know, you look at somebody like Thich Nhat Hanh or others who talk about walking meditation, or the fact of the matter is simply sitting in silence is a meditation practice. And people forget that because, uh, unfortunately, there's a subset of people who get lost in this idea that you have to sit a certain way, uh, you know, you have to do this exact breathing exercise, and the very nature of that creates anxiety, which... Prevents them from getting the therapeutic effect, and uh, the other side of that same coin is many people who feel that they are the expert are very condemning of people versus having a gentleness and a understanding that people need to be held. uh, You need to have an open heart. They need to be accepted. There needs to be non judgment. You need to approach them with kindness and compassion, and when you do that. Frankly, it doesn't matter what the practice is. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: a you know. A great point. So yeah, it's a great so, point. Yeah, and there and uh, you know everything you're saying is 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 these this is important nuance. We need to get the message out there to the general public. Um, there's a really cool paper by uh, Vago, David Vago, sure. mind the mind the hype. You know, uh, and he's a med- mindfulness meditation researcher. It's just I love to see you know meditation scientists who are Critical of their own field, to me that's be- a beautiful thing. Uh, we should all we should all be critical of our own fields, you know. Well, this is the problem because
0: there are some scientists who have swallowed the Kool Aid, and of course, as you know, you can bend the data to uh, fulfill what you expect to be the result. Why would I know that? Why would I know that? <laughs> I tried to give you a little insight into yourself, Scott. <laughs> I don't bend no data. I don't bend <laughs> no data. Speak your damn self. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, uh, so I think that's, that's, that's uh, very true. There's actually a, a, a book called Mindfulness." Have you seen that by
1: Ron Persson? I have.
0: Yes. Yeah. I haven't yeah. read it.
1: I haven't read. Did you read it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us read it, but we brought it up. <laughs> okay. Well, uh,
0: I, I think, uh, you know, if you look at the What's the word? The uh, summary. Uh, I think yeah. uh, you can get a pretty good idea. And I've yeah, heard yeah, some yeah, of this. what
1: we're talking about. Yeah. Yes,
0: and and, and and he's been on podcasts and things. So, uh, but uh, and all my knowledge is from podcasts, uh, Scott. I want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. No, there's a lot of make mindfulness, but it, uh, a lot of it just betrays the fundamental uh, original Buddhist principle. You know what what was the point of it? It wasn't to for your own self-indulgence. it was to have greater insight into the mind and have uh, and and reduce suffering on the planet. Uh, somehow, we missed the memo there in the West. yes <laughs> uh,
0: unfortunately, you know yeah. it's it's funny. I'll tell you a very quick story. Uh, I had because I float in these circles uh, and know a lot of spiritual and religious leaders, I have people who periodically will come to me and ask me to be their guru, which I find laughable since uh, you know I view myself as uh, you know trying to understand these things myself. But this uh, socialite woman, I was in uh, Dharamsala with the Dalai Lama, and here this woman's in the audience, and it, and it was interesting to watch her because it was evident she was quite affluent, but uh, da- Richard Gere was there, and over the period she started moving towards Richard Gere to the point where she was sitting next to her. Him and I had a brief conversation with her, and a few weeks later, I was in Los Angeles with Eckhart Tolle, and the same woman was there. Mm. And uh, uh, and then I was at what was it? oh I was in an event with Amma, the Hugging Saint. I don't know if you've heard of her, but yes, she's I a, have. Yeah, she's a fascinating person and a, a good friend. But anyway, I was on stage with Alma, and this woman, I looked down and she's in the audience again. So I'm oh. holding an uh, I'm holding an event. And I, she comes to my event and there's a reception afterwards and she's there and she comes up to me and she says, you know, I want you to be my guru. You know, I've seen you with the Dalai Lama and Eckhart Tolle and Ama, and clearly you have some special X, Y, or Z, whatever it was. And um, so I, I said, oh, okay, so you're serious about this? She said, oh, absolutely. I'll do anything. I said, okay, okay, well... Uh, You're you're willing to do anything. Oh, absolutely. So I said, okay, I'm going to give you a list of 100 books. And uh, I want you to read for four hours a day. I want you to meditate for two hours. And then I want you to write in a journal about what you learned. And she goes, oh, my God, that's eight hours a day. And I said, well, I mean, nothing is easy as we were talking about. She goes, but that's eight hours a day, and uh, I said, yes, yes. And she goes, well, well. What will I learn from all of this? I said, well, if you've been really diligent, what you'll learn is that you don't need me at all.
1: So there you go. That would that. Wow. Well, that's not narcissism. <laughs> that's humility, doctor. Doctor, <laughs> uh, maybe you, maybe you're not an an actual narcissist. Damn it, Scott! You found out about me. I was
0: posing as a narcissist.
1: I feel like a, a profound narcissist would have would have loved uh, to to be the guru, uh, you know, uh, and just uh, tell someone uh, all their brilliant things of how to live their lives. But no, but everything you said is right. I mean, that's the right, right. way. Is that I ultimately the person needs to work for themselves. I just created a new form of coaching I call self actualization coaching, where I try to bring a lot of the science into the because there's a lot of the coaching field is just so. Um, it, it I don't know uh, the word I can't I can't use a new polite company what it is but uh, the wild west out there and you know absolutely people people take one seminar two hour seminar now they're a coach but well um, and, and they're and they're in their early twenties yeah well <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing so there was... well well learning to be
0: a coach when you're in your twenties and yeah, coaching see, people I in their forties yeah. and fifties is a yeah. Uh... yeah
1: yeah no I I totally hear you I totally hear you. Um, but, um, but uh, to me, um, coaching is all about helping the client create, get these insights. It's not about being in the guru relationship, you know, um, you can be in, a coach, you can be encouraging, you can, um, help, uh, help them think of new ways of thinking about themselves. They never thought about themselves, but ultimately they have to have those insights, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think your job is to, uh, to, understand enough about an individual's psyche to then create a plan that works for them and supports them and encourages them and motivates them then to do the work. And I think, uh, you know, if you can uh, do that, because uh, it's not like, uh, you know, clapping your hands and saying, Hey, we're all together. Let's be good. And we're going to do this or that. And you're going to be just fine. Uh, and, and frankly, I think that journey is a painful one oftentimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got the right idea.
0: Well, listen, uh, it's been a joy being with you. Uh, do you have any last words you would like to say uh, to our audience or to me other than I'm not a narcissist,
1: which I appreciate, but (laughs) well, um, (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a reason why you got into studying compassion, you know, uh, you obviously think it's a very important topic and you, you think there needs to be more compassion in the world. So that's a very pro-social thing. So, um, well, first of all, let me say in response to what you just said, I hope these aren't my last words. (laughs) Um, second of all, uh, I really hope these aren't, these aren't my last words. Uh, Uh, second of all, I do hope we can chat again sometime. Please stay in touch. Um, I'm a great admirer of your research and work. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, our worlds are uh, are a lot closer than we probably realize in terms of uh, research um, and uh, kind of our, our w- how we want to improve the world. So um, it was a real real delight chatting with you today.
0: No, I appreciate that, and I you know obviously I think we have a lot of uh, in common friends, Sam Harris, David Eagleman, and all sorts of other folks out there. So, Emma Emma Sepulah. Oh, she's a dear dear friend. I love Emma. She's uh, yeah? she worked for me or we worked together for many years and she uh, um, has a lot of insights and uh, just the nicest uh, person around. So I I like her a great deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, thanks again for having me uh, on your show. It was a real honor. Well, mine as well.
0: And uh, yeah, maybe we can do a part two and uh, uh, go in some other direction. So I appreciate it. Again, thank you for being with us today. The Into the Magic Shop podcast can be found where you find your most popular podcasts or you can find us at intothemagicshop.com.